0: All right, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, the day of the Lord. Last week, we looked at First Thessalonians chapter 4, the rapture of the church, that's verses 13 to 18. And then he transitions, the apostle Paul does in his letter to the Thessalonians, to the day of the Lord, which is different than the rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 5 is really, the day of the Lord really is the tribulation period, the seven years of tribulation, God's wrath upon this earth. That's called the day of the Lord. And uh, he wants them not to be ignorant concerning the day of the Lord, that we're children of the day and not children of the night, that God's not appointed us to wrath. And uh, so he's talking about the coming of the Lord, talking about the second coming of Christ, talking about the great tribulation. And... uh, so in the second service, I prepared a different message. We're going to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and that deals with uh, the Antichrist being revealed and what keeps the Antichrist from being revealed. And did you know that if you know who the Antichrist is, my friend, that means that you have missed the rapture of the church? And so I know I see that online a lot. Uh, these prophets or whatever says, uh, and they they have the these meetings and they're trying to get you to come. And the Antichrist will be revealed, and, and then they'll have a shadowy picture where you can't really tell. But this preacher is going to reveal to us. Uh, who that antichrist is. Well, according to my understanding of scripture, the antichrist will not be revealed until the the restrainer is taken out of the way and then he'll be revealed. And so if you know who that antichrist is, it's been revealed and the restrainer has been taken out of the way, which means that you've missed the rapture of the church. So it's not a good thing to know who that antichrist is. That's all I'm saying. Well, I'm going to say more than that. That's not all I'm saying. Anyway, let's look at First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Why is he saying that? Because when he was with them preaching, he's telling them these things. So he's saying, you know, I've talked to you all about this. I taught you all about this. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is a coming tribulation. The time of God's wrath, a seven-year period. We're going to get into this, but I want you to just have that in your mind. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. When they say, they, unbelievers, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. He's talking about unbelievers, not Christians. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they, the unbelievers, shall not escape. But you, brethren, talking to believers, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You're all sons of light and sons of the day. We, believers, are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us, believers, not sleep as others do, but let us, believers, watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, believers, throughout the day be sober. So this is words for us. We're people of the day, children of the light, children of God. How are we to live right now? But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us believers to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the time of wrath is coming upon them. But God did not appoint us believers to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore... Comfort each other and edify one one another just as also you are doing. And so let me comfort you today that the day of the Lord is not a day that we're going to go through. A time of great tribulation, a time of wrath. God's not appointed us to wrath. We're people of the day. We're children of God. And so we're going to be comforted by, by these words today because we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're going to miss this great tribulation that is coming on the earth. Uh, Just a little bit of, by way of recap of last week, what is the rapture? The rapture of the church is the event in which God catches away all believers from the earth in order to make way for his righteous judgment to be poured out on the earth during the tribulation period. So that's the definition I gave uh, to you uh, last week. And we also looked at, the, at a parable in the second service, Levenham service, the parable of the five wise and five foolish, kind of a wedding parable talking about the coming of the Lord. And I believe that the Jewish wedding back in that culture is symbolic of the rapture. When a Jewish man or woman were married, it started with a betrothal. And when the groom left his father's house, he had the bride's price, the dowry. And when he came to the bride's house, he made a covenant with his bride. And in that covenant, they were legally betrothed. They had not yet consummated the marriage, but he paid the bride's price. Jesus left his father's house, came to earth, and paid the price for our sins. His blood was the bride's price, for the church is the bride. After they finished their betrothal, they had a glass of wine. When they had the glass of wine, it sealed the covenant. He then said, I will not drink another glass of wine until I drink it in my father's house. When going back to his father's house, he would build a bridal chamber in his father's house. His father would inspect the bridal chamber and decide when it was ready. The father would then tell the son, go get your bride. Only the father knew the exact time when he would send his son to get the bride. Usually the groom would come for his bride during the night. The bride would sleep in her wedding dress. She had to be ready at all times. The groom would go through the streets blowing the trumpet and say, the bridegroom is coming. The bride had to keep her lamp lit all night long to be ready at a moment's notice. He would take her back to the father's house for a seven-day wedding. So when Jesus says in John 14, 1 to 3, I'm going away to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. That is the rapture of the church. We are his bride. We are engaged to him. He is coming back to take us to the father's house for a wedding feast. We must keep our lamps filled with oil and live in a state of readiness. Are you ready? Are you ready? Why is there a rapture? First and foremost, to receive us to himself. He's coming to receive us to himself, but also to save us from the wrath to come. Like it says in verses 9 and 10 of this passage of scripture, God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with him. Aren't you glad about that? He did not appoint us to wrath. As it says in the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. That's the wrath of hell, of course, but also the wrath of what the Bible calls this great tribulation that's coming upon this earth. In Revelations chapters 6 to 18, this is the time when God opens up the seals, sounds the trumpets, and pours out the vials. It is a time, but the Bible says, is the wrath of God upon the earth. That's the time of what we call Tribulation. The last three and a half years of that seven-year period is called literally the Great Tribulation. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 12, verses 16 to 17. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That's Revelation chapter 6. So if you read the book of Revelation, verses chapter 6 to chapter 18, that's a time of tribulation that's upon this earth. That's the time, like the Bible says, the wrath of the Lamb. It's interesting, when we think about the Lamb of God... He is meek and gentle and lowly of heart, and the Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world. But there's a coming time when that, that Lamb, strong and mighty, seated at the right hand of the Father, ascended and glorified, it's, the Bible talks about during the Great Tribulation it's the wrath of the Lamb. I'm so glad that Jesus is the Lamb of God that has taken away my sins. He's my wonderful Savior. And I do not have to experience his great and awful wrath. We're saved through the Lamb of our God. Amen? What happens after the rapture? Well, I think uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about the rapture. And I think 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 talks about what happens after the rapture, which is... The day of the Lord. Verse 2 says that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. As a thief in the night. Not upon us, children of the day, children of God, children of the light. That day is not going to overtake us as a thief. Why is that? Because we're not here. We've been, in First Thessalonians chapter 4, caught up to be with the Lord. But the children of the night and the children of darkness... That day, the day of the Lord, the great tribulation period, the time of God's wrath, it's going to come upon them unawares. Why is that? Because they have no spiritual perception whatsoever. They have no idea of the times and seasons. They have no idea that when God calls his church home to be with him, that all of a sudden, sudden tribulation, sudden destruction, like the scripture here tells us in uh, in verse 3, sudden destruction is going to come upon them. They are then trapped trapped down here, and it's going to come upon them with all the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. The scripture tells us that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night upon children of darkness, not children of the day, and it begins like the scripture says in verse 3, peace and safety. So we're caught up to be with the Lord Peace and safety comes upon this earth, and we're going to talk about that peace and safety in a little bit, all right? And then, like it says, sudden destruction, verse 3. What is the day of the Lord? Well, I've already mentioned it. The day of the Lord is not a 24-hour day, but rather a seven-year period of judgment called the tribulation. The last three and a half years, it is called the great tribulation. Jesus talks about this, tribulation, in Matthew 24, verse 21, when he says, For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. Now, in the world you have tribulation. We understand that we are living in a world that has fallen that lies in the power of the wicked one, the God of this world. Sin is present. There's death. There's suffering. There's challenges. There's trials. There's tribulations. That is general tribulation. The Bible talks about a coming period of time that the world has never seen such sufferings that is Revelations chapter 6 to 18, the outpouring of God's vials, the soundings of the trumpet, the openings of the seal, the great day of God's wrath. And so some people say, ah, well, we're already in the tribulation. We're in general tribulation because in this world we have tribulation, but we're not in the great tribulation. That's still yet to come. And let me say this about that. I mentioned this last week. Maybe some of you were not here. When it comes to the vaccine being the mark of the beast, the the mark of the beast happens during the great tribulation period. We understand that according to the book of Revelation. We are not in the great tribulation period. There is no mark of the beast, none whatsoever right now, because we're not in the great tribulation. That means that this vaccine cannot be the mark of the beast. And so whatever you do, do not refuse the vaccine simply because you believe that it's the mark of the beast. You can refuse it for whatever reason you want, but don't refuse it on those theological grounds, all right? All right? All right, very good, very good. The day of the Lord is a period of time in which God will deal with unbelievers directly and in fearful judgment. The day of the Lord, the time of this great tribulation coming upon this world, it was prophesied in the Old Testament in a number of places. I have a couple here that I'd like to read to you. The first is found in Isaiah chapter 13. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. Remember, the day of the Lord is not a 24-hour period, but rather a time period lasting seven years. Behold, the day of the Lord comes... Cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light, the sun will be darkened in its going forth, the moon will not cause its light to shine. I will, this is God talking, punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. The day of the Lord is a time of God's wrath. And as you can see, as Isaiah writes about it, I don't know about you, but if I was up here saying, now, I want you to know that uh, you're going to have to go through the tribulation period and face all this calamity for seven years, such as the world has never, never known. Now, be of good cheer and be of good comfort. You know the apostle Paul he's writing to the believers says now comfort one another with these words. And in first Thessalonians chapter 4 it's you're going to be caught up to be with the Lord. You'll be with him. He's not appointed you to wrath. You're children of the light. The day of the Lord is coming upon the children of darkness. Comfort yourself with this. Realize God has saved you. He has something better planned for you. Somebody say amen to that. That's the thinking here. Zephaniah writes about this day of the Lord. The great day of the Lord is near, Zephaniah writes. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Who wants to go through that? I don't know about you, but aren't you glad for salvation that the Lord can deliver us from the wrath to come? Somebody say amen to that. Revelation talks about this. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. See, it's the wrath of God. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and was and who is to be, because you have judged these things. It's time of judgment. Behold, now, this is concerning the day of the Lord. Remember First Thessalonians chapter 5, it says the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. It'll come suddenly upon them. Here it's reiterated, behold, I am coming as a thief to unbelievers in the day of the Lord. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, why does the Lord come as a thief in the night? Because it tells us that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, that he comes as a thief in the night. That means he will come unexpectedly and without warning to those living in darkness. It's a thief in the night to those living in darkness. Well, what about the rapture of the church? He also comes suddenly and unexpectedly to us. His return is imminent. Let me say this. Some people say, well, for the Lord to come back for his church, all kinds of prophecies still need to be fulfilled. There needs to be a temple built. There needs to be the Antichrist. There needs to be this prophecy, that prophecy. All these prophecies still have yet to line up. And so we know that the Lord is not coming. I want you to know that there is no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the Lord to come back for the church. There are plenty of prophecies that need to be fulfilled for the Lord to come back to this earth the second time at the end of the tribulation period. There needs to be a temple. There needs to be an antichrist. There needs to be abomination of desolation. There needs to be all those things. But for him to come back for the church, it's imminent. It can happen at any time. And you might be saying, well, what about these prophecies? Well, listen, seven years separates the rapture of the church from the second coming of Christ. All these prophecies that must be fulfilled for him to come that second time to this earth, to judge this earth. Now, certainly those prophecies and the fulfillment of those prophecies will cast a shadow upon us living in our time, in our day and age, because it's only seven years earlier. So you might be seeing it lining up the setting of the table. You might be seeing these things coming in a place. But I want you to know, no prophecy needs to be fulfilled for the Lord to come for the rapture of the church. He could come today. And then all of a sudden that throws this world into what we call that seven-year period, the day of the Lord or the tribulation period. And so that's why we need, like I read that story about a Jewish wedding and the customs behind it, we need to make sure that when we go to sleep, we're sleeping in our bride's dress with our lamp lit, that we're watchful, that we're ready at all times, living faithful. So when the trumpet sounds, we are alert and ready to go and will not be ashamed at his coming. Amen? And one of the things you can do is you're doing it right now. You're attending church, committed to church, hearing God's word, worshiping the Lord, setting him first. That is part of being ready. Part of his being ready. Praise the Lord. Hmm. So the Lord will come unexpectedly and without warning to those living in darkness. The Bible says peace and safety. They'll be saying peace and safety. The tribulation begins... With false peace and safety, it begins literally with a peace treaty that the coming world ruler, that man of sin, the Antichrist, will make with the nation of Israel. Verse 3 of chapter 5, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction. When they say, why are they saying peace and safety? Because at the beginning of the tribulation period, the scripture tells us in the prophet Daniel that this man of sin, this son of perdition, this antichrist, this man of lawlessness, these all kinds of different names for this same man, this world ruler is going to cut a covenant with the nation of Israel and bring peace to the Middle East. Listen to what it says in Daniel nine twenty-seven: The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. That one set of seven is seven years. But after half this time, at the three and a half year period, half of seven is three and a half years, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. In other words, he's going to break this treaty. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilege sacrilegious object that causes desecration. Until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. Kind of complicated uh, phrasing of words there. But this is what we call the abomination of desolation. The Antichrist makes a peace treaty at the beginning of the tribulation period. So that by saying, ah, finally, world peace. It's a false peace. It's always a false peace because the one who makes peace is the prince of peace. Am I right about that? Jesus is the prince of peace. So it's a false peace. He is Antichrist. He's deceiving the world. He cuts his covenant, makes his peace treaty. And then midway through that seven-year period, he breaks that peace treaty, and he desecrates the temple that is in Jerusalem. Matter of fact, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, it literally says this, he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Jesus talks about this abomination of the breaking of the treaty in Matthew 24, 15. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel, that relates back to Daniel 9, verse 27. That's why people talk about the temple needs to be built. And the temple does need to be built. It's not built yet. As long as I've been a Christian, 1976, people have talked about that temple being built. I remember one time a number of years ago, I mean, good grief, I've been here about probably 34 years ago. We were still in the little white building. A guy in my church, uh, he got all, all excited because a man had gone to Israel and had taken pictures of the literal temple being built. And he brought him to church, and the guy had all the Polaroid snapshots. That's been back when he had Polaroids. Polaroid snapshots and laid them all out. And he says, look, those are the steps to the temple. This is the wall being built. This is the temple being built. And I did not believe it. And my unbelief was true. <laughs> there is, I've been to Israel a couple of times. There is no temple. They've not built it yet. But it will be built. Because the Antichrist has to defile that temple. All right? And so we know that that's all going to happen before he returns to this earth. But as a Christian, we don't have to wait for the temple to be built before the Lord comes for us. The rapture of the church is right now imminent. It can happen at a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And then we shall all be changed. And then sudden destruction comes upon this earth. Then they'll cry out peace and safety then there'll be a peace treaty with the antichrist and the nation of israel and the temple will be there perhaps as a church as that prophecy casts a shadow upon the earth perhaps we will see the beginnings of the rebuilding of the temple i don't know about that but i do know this i'm not waiting to see that temple built before i believe the lord is coming back for me I just want you to track with me on this. At the three and a half year mark of the tribulation, the Antichrist will break his treaty with Israel and commit the abomination of desolation. That's when he defiles the temple. That's when he sets up an object. That's when he declares himself as God. Hmm. Well, who are the day people and who are the night people? Let me read verses four to seven again. But you, brethren, now who are the you? Believers. Believers. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day, that's the day of the Lord, that's the great tribulation period, that seven year period, should overtake you as a thief. It's not going to overtake you as a thief. You're in first Thessalonians four comes before five, we're already up in heaven. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. The day of the Lord is a time of great darkness. We're sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. In other words, don't be like unbelievers and sleep. In other words, become careless with your spiritual commitments and live as if Jesus isn't coming back because he is. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober. My friend, we are of the day. And uh, people of the day, they have a different nature. People of the day have a different behavior. People of the day have a different appearance. And people of the day have a different destiny. Let me uh, just comment on these four things. People of the day, we have a different nature than people of the night. We're children of the light. We walk in the light. We love the light. We're sons of God. We're alert and sober. We have a different nature because we've been born again. How many realize when a baby's born, he's born with a sin nature? Amen? And he just carries around that sin nature. And that's why people sin. People sin because they have a sin nature. They don't have a sin nature because they sin. They sin because they have a sin nature. What comes first? The sin or the sin nature? According to the scriptures, the sin nature comes first. A little baby is born with that sin nature. Therefore, that child sins. That's why we need to be born again. And when we're born again, all things become new. We're new creations in Christ. And now we are partakers of his divine nature. We're children of light. Children of day, we're not children of darkness. We're not children of devil. God is our father, amen? So we have a different nature. Night people are children of darkness. The Bible says they love darkness. Do you still love darkness? When I say darkness, I'm not talking about actual literal nighttime. I'm talking about the deeds of wickedness. Do you still love partying, getting drunk, Doing drugs, sinning, cursing, coming under the influence of this world. Do you still love that type of lifestyle? If you're a Christian, you put those things away. You've repented of those things. If you fall into it again, if you do sin, you feel grieved. But the children of the night, they love darkness and recruit others to join them in the darkness. I don't know if you can reflect back to when you got before you got saved and maybe you would do that you'd re- come let's go to that party let's get drunk let's get high come on let's do these things and you took great joy in it and you wanted others to join you in it and now that you're Christian you can't believe you did those things and the last thing you want to do is encourage anybody to sin rather than, let's go to that party say let's go to church we have Easter services coming. Let's go and worship the Lord. Am I right? So children of the day have a different nature. They have a different behavior. They, they, they're watchful and sober. It's interesting that children in darkness, it uses the word drunk there. And I realize that could be alcohol, but just call it under the influence of. I've read lots of articles concerning this, uh, the COVID and the quarantining. And one of the things that have happened is the high rate of uh, liquor sales and drug abuse that is happening during these isolation and quarantine days. It's like our nation has turned to this type of thing. And I hate seeing those billboards highlighting marijuana and the blessings or joy that marijuana can bring. This is a mind-altering drug that brings you under its influence and gives you a high. As Christians, we're not to be brought under the power of that, nor should we even desire that. It should not even be named among us, let alone smoked among us. I guess they don't even smoke it much anymore. They sell like candies with the THC in the candies in these stores. Really, I think to entice children, I got some candy for you, just like the devil's tactics to give us under the influence of something rather than the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be filled with the Spirit, not drunk with wine, with drugs, under the influence of anything other than the power of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be watchful and sober, but they're children of darkness, they're asleep, That means totally unaware of spiritual things. They don't get it. And drunk. Now Jesus gave a parable in Luke chapter 12 about this very thing. But what if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while. And he begins beating the other servants, partying, and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. So the nature's different, the behavior is different, how we live our lives, so much different. What about the appearance? Verse eight, those who are of the day, we put on the armor of God. Here in this passage, it talks about the breastplate and the helmet, but it uses three terms there, faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. So children of the light, children of God, we walk in faith. Those that don't know God, they walk in fear. We're children of light. We, we walk in love towards God and towards people. Children of darkness, the Bible says they literally are haters of God. Haters of God. And of course, we have hope the belief that things are going to get better because God is good and He's in control of today and tomorrow for us. Romans 8, 28 is a hopeful verse. We know that all things work together for good. To those who love God, heard are called according to his purpose. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, I just want to talk about this helmet. Ephesians chapter 6 says, put on the helmet, the helmet of salvation, right? Because the devil comes and he will attack you. And when you get saved, you have to have that helmet of salvation. You have to know that you know that you're saved. Because the devil, after you're saved, will try to convince you that you're not saved. Before you're saved, the devil convinces you that you don't need that because everything's fine. In other words, before you're saved, he convinces you that you're right with God. (laughs) No need to worry. Everything's fine. Then after you get saved, he tries to convince you that you're not saved. So you you need that helmet of salvation. You need to know that you know that you're born again. You're saved. Right? Secure in Christ. That he can't convince you, oh, you're not really saved. You're not. No, I know I'm saved. I have believed. Christ is in my heart. I know that the promises are true for me. And uh, this calls it the helmet of hope. The helmet of salvation, hope, right? Doesn't it mention that there in verse 8? And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Hope is always Future. Future. And so, as a Christian, let, let me tell you, this, this helmet of salvation, the hope, you have to believe or you should believe that you are saved right now, if you have truly believed, and that the devil can't talk you out of your salvation. I know I'm a believer. Who knows that? Who knows that? All right. Put on that helmet every day. Bible talks about hope as the helmet of salvation. That's future. So, you should be absolutely convinced not only that you are saved today, But that you are saved tomorrow as well. That you are going to be saved the next day. That not only has God saved you today, but God's salvation is an eternal salvation. He's writing because he's telling the Thessalonians, I don't want you to be worried about great tribulation. About the day of the Lord. About the wrath of God. I don't want you to be worried about any of those things. Put on that helmet of hope. Know that not only are you saved today, but you don't have to worry about that which is coming. It's not going to destroy you. It's not going to ruin you. It's not going to somehow take your salvation away. You put on that salvation, that helmet of hope. And I want you to believe Thessalonians and cornerstoners. That's right. We're stoned in Christ. He's the most high God, right? He's the most high God, (laughs) You know, I've always thought about that, little, little, little breakaway from here. Uh, uh, Jake and Anna, they call their church Thrive Church, and the people that I attend, they call them Thrivers. Thrivers. Well, we got the Thrivers are coming tonight. I, I kind of like that. And then I thought, well, what could we, corner stoners? We're the stoners? Well, I'm not so sure that that's going to work well. Hey, the stoners are, are coming out tonight, and the people, unbelievers, what, what is going on there? We're high in Jesus. What? The stoners? What in the world's going on? Anyway, what am I talking about? That he's writing to the Thessalonians. He says, I want you to have the hope of your salvation. Put it on like a helmet. Don't let the devil convince you that your future is uncertain, that you're going to lose it, that you're going into this great tribulation, that uh, just be uh, fearful about your salvation. He says, be at rest. Your future is secure in Christ Jesus. You're saved today. He will hold you. He will hold you fast. Put on that helmet of hope, the hope of your salvation. I want you to believe that. Come what may, and I don't know what's coming. Evil men are going to wax worse and worse. I believe that. But I don't want us to fear the future as if what's coming in the future is going to steal away our great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. The destiny. The Bible tells us in verse 10, the children of God will live together with him. That's our destiny, living together with him. But children of darkness, the Bible says in verse 9, are appointed to wrath. So the children of day have a different nature, have a different behavior, have a different appearance, we got that armor of God on, and have a different destiny than the children of darkness. Colossians talks about this when we get saved. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us in the kingdom of his dear son. When you get saved, you switch kingdoms and you switch kings. Kings. We're now in the kingdom of God and our king is now King Jesus. We're no longer in darkness. We're children of God. Amen, church? So he speaks comfort and encouragement to them, the believers. He speaks warning and judgment to the unbelievers. What is God speaking to you today? If you're a believer, be encouraged, be comforted, all is well. Walk in love. Walk in faith. Have hope. Amen. And if you're here today and you're not sure of your salvation, I want you to know there is coming great judgment and wrath is yet to come. And let this be a warning. You need to be saved. Let's bow our heads in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, I pray by your Spirit that you'd bring comfort and encouragement to every single believer here, that we would be watchful, alert, sober, filled with the Spirit under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And as a believer with your heads bowed here today, is there a sin that you need to turn from today? The Bible says, let us not sleep. Is there a sin you need to turn from? God's called you to something so much better than to fall back into dark ways, sinful acts. If you need to turn from a sin, do so right now. Father, forgive me. Let's not be under the influence of this world, drunk, under the influence of all that this world has to offer us the lust of the flesh, passions the lust of the eyes, possessions the pride of life power let's not come under that let's not love those things let's love the Lord Jesus turn from your sins today if you're here today and you say Pastor Tim will you please pray for me because I don't know if I'm a child of God. I don't know if I'm truly saved. I don't know if I've ever really been born again. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to escape the wrath to come. I want Christ to be my Savior. My friend, if you want me to pray with you to give your heart to Christ, just raise your hand. Lift your hand up. I'll pray with you. Very good. Let's all stand in the presence of the Lord. If you'd like to stick around for my second message, it's going to be Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to talk about the Antichrist and that which restrains him until he be taken out of the way. It's going to be a great message. You're welcome to join me again. I know you lost an hour's worth of sleep, but you're in the anointing of God, plus the coffee shop is open. Yeah, Pray for the Spirit of God to anoint you and quicken you, and also a good cup of coffee. It's almost as good as the anointing, almost, not quite. Hallelujah. Were you blessed today? Yes. All right. Praise the Lord. But well, let's worship the Lord, and then you'll be dismissed.